Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. Today, I had the privilege of interviewing Matana Jacobs. Um, I had been trying to get Matana on the podcast, and she actually ended up interviewing me as well for her podcast. And um, she has an amazing podcast called Hope to Recharge, and I've heard many episodes before, and I've heard about her from many different people. And her story has always blown me away, her story of struggling with mental illness and her openness about it and her uh, breaking the stigma and teaching other people other so many different coping mechanisms. And her story is really um, amazing, sad, inspirational. Um, just it's just It was just amazing for me to hear. And I think that this week of all weeks is a really important week to put this episode out because um, I don't know about you, but there's just so much stress right now between the kids being off from um, camp and then starting school. And maybe for some people that doesn't stress them out, but at least for me, I know that the multiple schedules and the time changing and um, the schedule changing and just so many different shifts does give me a lot of anxiety and I try to be organized, but it's still really, really overwhelming. Not just that the, the holidays are coming and we're trying to be introspective and think about how the year went. And this year was such a crazy year and, you know, Corona still going on and we don't know what's going to come and we really never know. But now more than ever, we are feeling that lack of control. So I thought that this um, episode was extremely powerful and I still find myself going back to our conversation and thinking about the tools that we, that we spoke about. So um, give this podcast a listen, please like, comment, share this podcast and all other podcasts, anything that you find valuable, share with somebody who you think that could benefit. This is really the only way that the podcast moves up, moves up in the rankings and other people can find this information. And if you're looking to make peace with food, by using the principles of intuitive eating, health at every size, self-care, go to my website, www.gilaglassberg.com, and you can apply for a 20-minute free consultation where we could see that we're a good if we're a good fit. Um, I do take some insurances. Right now, Aetna, Cigna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Emblem Health, and United Healthcare, only the Empire Plan. Uh, there's instructions on how to find out um, if you would be covered on my website, so go ahead and check, check that out. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. So we're just going to pick up where we left off a few weeks ago, um, and we were talking about the concept of like um, having a loved one support someone through anxiety, depression, or any mental illness. And you were saying that your husband was there for you. And um, let's talk a little bit about like the importance of having a support system, and also like maybe for the those who are supporting the supporter, like how how the supporter can handle what's going on. 
Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if I mentioned it last episode, but I often say this to people that ask me and on my podcast, I repeat it as much as possible because I think it's such an important message that when someone does support you, don't take it for granted that they're meeting you where you're at. You have to see it like as if it's like really Hatala coming your way mm. because they have no idea what happened to their loved one that suddenly something is a struggle and they lost their loved one that they knew and something else is happening and they have to relate to that person in a place that no one gave them education how to relate to them. Right. They're in this, the middle of the pain as well because they're going through loss of the person that they love that they knew. Mm-hmm. And we take it for granted. Oh, if you loved me, you should show up for me and this is support. And No, no, mm-hmm. I was lucky because my husband went through so much hell growing up that he never took for granted something that came into his life and everything that came into his life was a gift. So if Matana was doing well for a few years, wow, that's a gift. No one promised him that Matana will be doing well forever. So this is part of challenge. So he went through so much transformation before he even got married to understand that life is full of challenges and whatever it comes, we're gonna have to overcome it. Mm -hmm. Most people that get married or most people that have children or most people that are in a relationship, they have this image of what the relationship is gonna be like. And they go into the relationship, either if it's with childhood or with marriage or whatever it is, they go in with this expectation. And suddenly when that expectation changes, they lose themselves in the relationship and they Mm -hmm. lose the relationship. Mm-hmm. So we have to be so aware that the supporting person is going through extreme pain mm-hmm. and we need to be grateful to them. And I say, we, the sufferer with mental illness, the person that's going through the darkness, if someone is supporting you, be above and beyond grateful, even if it's two minutes a day, even if it's a text, even if it's a cup of water, even if it's a Slurpee, be grateful for when they show up for you because they are lost just like you're lost. There was no manuscript given to them. Oh, by the way, when your family members uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, reach mental illness, this is what you should do. No one talks about it, let alone give you a manual of how to deal with it. Right. So understand that they're going through their own turmoil and their own pain and their own loss. Mm -hmm. And I wish someone told me this back in the day that I could be so grateful for my husband, for my loved ones that were supporting me, my community. I took it for granted that I'm a sick one. Mm -hmm. I was visualizing it like, God forbid, I'm the cancer patient, God forbid. And you have to support me. Come, it's all about me and my recovery. Right. No one told me. No one told me until years later, were you grateful? Did you reach out to the support and say like, how are you doing? So you're my mm-hmm. husband. How are you doing mm-hmm. in this darkness? Mm-hmm. How are you doing juggling the kids, carpool, business, life, a hundred thousand different medical advices and your, your roller coaster of a wife that every two seconds is in a different emotion and you have no idea how to help her through the darkness. How do you, how do you recommend like, um, let's say somebody is struggling with mental illness and they're spouse is supporting them, but they're the one who's struggling with the mental illness can't see that. They can't, they can't be grateful. They are struggling to do so, or they are so depressed in bed. They can't, they can't function. How, how, how would you, how do ignite gratitude? Yeah. Okay. So for example, um, a spouse takes the kids to school. 
for example, a spouse um, goes shopping for you, be in the moment and remove that fact and say, what if they couldn't do carpool mm-hmm. for me? What mm-hmm. if they didn't shop for me? What if um, I didn't have somebody to tuck my kids into bed? I'm, every spouse does something different. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm just repeating what my spouse did for me. But think about even the smallest and, and don't say it's their responsibility. Because even if right. it's their responsibility, we still have to be grateful that we have somebody that is co-parenting with us. That's, right. that's helping us along. So see the small things. Don't look at what is not. Don't focus on what the spouse the loved one, the sister, the brother, the colleague, the neighbor is not doing. Focus Mm -hmm. on what they are doing, even if it's the smallest, smallest little act. And if you can't ignite that in your mind, take it away and say, what would be if I I had to do everything on my own? Right, right. And there will be some people that would say, you know what, I rather life without this person. And that's a whole different ballgame. And we're not right. talking about that. We're right. talking about a good, loving relationship right. that just there's the lack of the clarity of how mm-hmm. we are getting support. But just see the other person, see the other person in their struggle in this darkness, because seeing a loved one suffering is darkness, is really right. darkness. So right. try to see the micro, micro little acts of support. And it doesn't have to be a love letter. And right. it doesn't have to be, I hope you get better. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be, oh my God, I see your depression. It probably will not be like that right. because right. that takes a giant and somebody that yeah. goes through years of therapy to understand right. that. Right, right. It sounds like your husband was such a huge support for you and he was so... um capable and able to like do what he had to do just to get through but it was he was and I and I took it for granted I honestly took it for granted because I didn't understand what other people go through like I'm like oh you're my husband you owe this to me this is your responsibility right and I really didn't give it the gratitude that I needed to be only years later and it's painful for me because I never met him in his darkness keeps ringing one second let me just put it on um yeah that's 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 i know that you talk a lot about like gratitude like that's sort of like your remedy to depression right like your remedy to yeah and which i love but can you talk to me a little bit about how that became such a passion of yours yeah there's a little of an there's a bit of an echo i don't hear the echo i don't know we're having technical difficulties today okay okay fine you still hear it every now and then but it's okay okay um, so when I tried it, I tried medication, psychiatry, um, every kind of therapy, really every kind of therapy. And it just wasn't working. I mean, I, I slept through my depression. So yeah, they, they medicated me and I said, mm-hmm. I'm happy they did because I mm-hmm. would probably be suicidal if mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, to not think I'm, I'm ending my life today, but I slept through it. I wasn't vibrant. I was numb. They numbed my pain and I wanted to feel alive. I wanted to mm-hmm. smile at my children, not just be right. passive in their, right. in their existence. 
And I said, there has to be something more to it. There just has to, if I was okay before and the okay that I was before is nothing like what I was now. Now I'm, mm-hmm. now I'm thriving. Then I was living and mm-hmm. I was living pretty good, mm-hmm. but now I'm thriving. It's a different kind of existence. Um, I feel like then I was running away from something that I didn't even know that I was running away. I was just on on an autopilot of existing. Today, I'm mindful in it. So I said, I want to at least go back to what I was. I refused to accept that this is my new existence. I refused because it's too numb. I would sleep, I would say, eight hours a day Mm -hmm. after fighting anxiety through the night. Mm-hmm. And, I, and then I would just be up and I was not smiling. I was not, I was not there. Mm-hmm. And I was just searching and searching and searching. And I came across the book, The Secret. And it's all about the law of attraction. And I read it three times and then four mm-hmm. times. And I remember reaching out to four or five therapists and some healers. Mm-hmm. I so wanted to believe that the law of attraction was real. I never heard of it, never heard mm-hmm. of it before. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I texted, I'm like, is law of attraction real? Is it real? Is it real force? Is it real? Tell me it's real because if it is, I'm gonna start tapping into it and I'm gonna start working with it. And everybody gave me their own answer. Some were more skeptical, some were mm-hmm. more yes and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I remembered coming down with Motze Shabbos and I said, Ari, that's it. I am starting to adapt this law of attraction and this is going to be my new life. So you're going to see me changing my words. You're going to see me not receiving certain ways of um, communication. My visualizing is going to change. You're going to just start seeing, and it's going to be extreme because I'm going to, I need an extreme reaction to what I'm going through. And I was so passionate. I said, I want it to work. And I remember emailing the authors and I said, I want to hire you. I, I was so in like my la la land that it's going to work. I said, I'm going to, I was already in manifesting. I'm like, I'm going to reach right. out to them and they're going to be my mentors. I wanted right. to heal so badly. I wanted right. to be alive. And um, of course they didn't respond to me, but I got to a few people that were teaching it and I took their courses and then I started listening to any, any YouTuber or, mm-hmm. or book. I bought books and books and books. And then I, uh, I bought the secret, the power, the magic. Uh, I think the last one is the hero and it's all the same family of books. Mm-hmm. And then um, I did the, I, I, I read the power of now and I, I started acquiring my mentors, Demartini, mm-hmm. and I started practicing and practicing and practicing. Now practicing gratitude when things are terrible is one of the most difficult things because you don't want to even be grateful. Right, right. Even if somebody tells you, take this remedy, it's disgusting medicine, but it's going to make you feel good. That's what it's like. Take this medicine, it's going to make you feel better, but it's really gross. That's what Mm -hmm. it feels like in the beginning when you practice gratitude. You're like, it so doesn't feel right. Right. I'm feeling so despair. How Mm -hmm. can I be grateful? But I, I remember one of my first gratitude moments where my feet were up because I was on the wall. And I was laying on my bed, my feet were up on the wall because I was feeling tingling in my feet from medication and my anxiety. And I said, what am I gonna be grateful for? I, I was, my, my heart was wrenching with depression and I was just feeling dead. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, what should I be grateful for now? And I said, you know what? I'm gonna be grateful for the wall that's supporting my legs. I'm going to be grateful. What would happen if the wall was not there? It would be really hard for me to put my legs up. 
Mm-hmm. And then yeah. slowly I started finding these little acts of like these, these moments of gratitude that I can tap into. Mm-hmm. And should I tell you that I felt grateful in the beginning? Not at all. It was very much um, like in, induced. The Thank gratitude. you till you make it really fake it to your make it, but it's not fake it, but like remove that good thing. Just remove it. What if the wall wasn't there? What Mm -hmm. if my medication wasn't there? What if my psychiatrist wasn't there? Mm -hmm. What if I didn't have this hope of the book wasn't there? I keep on removing it. And I said, oh, I do have it. So I'll be grateful for it. Mm -hmm. My bed, I was, I free for months. I was grateful for my bed that can hide me from the world. I was grateful for the fact that I was able to move to Florida to have a sunny sky because I said if I would live in New York that year, I would probably not survive. I'd be in the hospital. It was the the sunshine really helped me. So there were just I, I kept on increasing the gratitude until it really became a thing that creates a warm, cozy feeling. And it really, really, really does. Now, when I'm anxious, like during Corona, in the beginning of Corona, when I was anxious, my kids kept on seeing me going into the room and I'm like, okay, I'm going into gratitude. I'll see you in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I really like, I, it's, it's a meditation practice for me. Mm -hmm. And now when I, I I have different moments, different times of the day, the practice, I don't start any day without my gratitude meditation, my affirmations, my, my writing of gratitude. I have a whole thing with my nishmat. There is no day that starts with it. Just like people don't start their day without brushing their teeth, going to the bathroom, washing negovas or whatever you do without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. There is no day. There is no day that goes without opening with gratitude. Now I have thousands of moments of gratitude throughout the day, but it's automatically, it's automatically. Right. And I see it so vividly. Right. So there are tons of crises that happen in my day, tons and tons and tons and the hard things, really, really, really hard things that I don't share with the world. I don't share all of them. Some of them I do, and some of them are very private and I don't share them with the world. Some of them are not only my story, so I can't share them, right? Right. But what happens with gratitude, when you, when you acquire this power of gratitude and this muscle of gratitude, you choose to not dwell in what's not working and the hurdle, and you choose to dwell in what is working because I call it the IV for life. It's my IV. Don't take mm-hmm. that IV of gratitude away from mm-hmm. me because I'm going to collapse. Right. It's not that I'm holy. Right. I just know that it's my vitamins. It's, my, it's, it's how I survive. Right. Well, you saw like a very clear picture of like what your life was like without it, without that practice, without gratitude, without the affirmations. And so it was like, and, and you wanted, you, you have a lot of tenacity, right? That's the word, preser- mm. preser- yeah. perseverance. Like I'm yeah. not going to, even though like this depression is so strong, I'm not going to stay here. It's not, it's not. I, people always say like, what, what was the one big thing that you could say? I said, you have to want it. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. have to, you have to want it because the, the brutality of recovery is too hard to do without wanting it. And right. no one can lead you there besides your want, right. your rut zone. Right. I actually heard somebody tell me that like, um, like she has a uh, aunt who struggles with, I think bipolar or some, some sort of mental illness. And she said, she's so mentally healthy versus mm. somebody who doesn't have yes. a mental illness who like, yes. You had like that. I mean, we know we were talking about this before that like those those really negative moments of our lives are the things that like shape us. And like mm-hmm. so for somebody who who has struggled with anxiety, depression, mental illness, like it's almost like you, you could see the picture of the two. Like what what you're like you said you were living, but you weren't thriving. Exactly. And now that you like fell to that that lowest point, you have had 
gained all these amazing skills to go through life. I was gifted. I was gifted it. I was really gifted. And I, and I, I often say this in my prayer and I say, Hashem, thank you so much for choosing me to gift me the ability to see the diamonds you put into the world, the power of gratitude. And thank you for giving me the ability to recover from the deep depression so I can live a thriving life. Thank you for trusting me in my journey and saying, okay, you know what? I trust Matana. I'm going to give her this very, very hard test, but I trust her that she's going to find meaning and, and, and my gifts that I put into the universe. And I really say that gratitude is a force. It's a force that God gifted the universe that we are all able to tap into. There's no exclusives. And I, I am so grateful to God because my life that I was living before, which was really rosy and beautiful, nothing compared to the thriving life that I have now, because when I live now, it's a joy that I never got before. Now, my challenges now are much greater than I had before. Before I was like just living a, a, a very peaceful, um, regular life. Mm-hmm. Now I tap into the joy because I see the extremes of the difficulties and the challenges and the triumphs. And mm-hmm. I'm able to see every moment as a gift and elevate it. And when I say I feel literally, there is as if someone's giving me a hug. I always say my gratitude is my hugs. I feel a connection with Hashem on such a deep level, even on the most challenging, challenging days, because I don't want to let go. It's like a, a daddy that's seeing a child in dire times. And all you're, you're walking through your amsuf together, but your daddy's holding you so you feel safe. That's what gratitude is. I just feel more safe when I'm practicing gratitude, when I'm doing my kriyas yamsuf, whatever it is. Yeah. And have you, have you turned this into a business, right? Like you, t- you, is this something that you do? Like you help others like go through their mental illness, right? Yes. So Are you okay it, to talk it, about that? No, no, 100%. Yes? It's, a, okay. it's not like I turned it into a business. It kind of evolved. And um, one of the things that I talk about a lot is my mentors. Like since even before I got sick, way, way, way back um, when I was single, I had mentors. I acquire mentors. I learn from them. I, I, I graduate them, but I always take them along with me. I always say you have Can a coach. You first? Yeah. yeah. I, it's so funny that you're using the word mentor. Sorry to interrupt you, but I have, um, I, I love this woman. Her name is Parala Bramowitz. I don't know if you ever heard of her, but I talk no. about her a lot. She's like a yeah. parenting coach and she's, she's an amazing person. And mm-hmm. I used to listen to her. You'll look her up after she has some shears on tour anytime. Um, I used to listen to her and she would say my mentor was her mentor was Miriam Adahan. Oh, okay. he was trained by Miriam Adahan. And I used to say, I want Pearl to be my mentor. I used to think <laughs> that to myself, I want Pearl to be my mentor. And then there was a part of my life where I started going to her for like, she's, she's a coach. So I started my going life. to her and I was like, and now I think of her as like my mentor, you know, just even though like, I don't even know if she knows that, but like, it's so, it's so powerful, like to have a mentor, to have somebody who like you look to and like, who kind of like helps shape your life. A hundred percent. And I think that a mentor doesn't need to know that they're your mentor. It doesn't mean that you have to have a relationship with them. Like Brene Brown never met me. Right. 
right. saw her on stage many times. I right. listened to her, to her videos. I was part of her closed course. She never met me, but I saw right. her. Right. Um, I read all her books. She's my right. mentor. Right. Does she know about me? No. So there's a difference between a mentor and a coach. Right. A coach really meets with you and 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 goes through goals with you. And I believe that both of them, we graduate. When mm -hmm. you you like in my life, I had many coaches, and then we graduate right. and we go to the next coach, the right. next level, the next right. level. And right. I think it's very much like education. You go through kindergarten, nursery, right. kindergarten, then elementary right. school, then middle school, and it, there's always graduate. But we take the foundation into the next level, and that's the way right. it is with mentorship and coaches. Right. So I always had mentors and coaches in my life and I'm grateful for each and every one of them and they're still I always say my whoever I am is thanks to them because mm -hmm. without them I wouldn't be where I am now mm -hmm. so um I had a a coach at the time that I when I years ago and I and I kept on saying like I don't have enough time and I know that I made a vow with Hashem that if I heal I will forever pay it forward because I, this is my mission to, mm -hmm. to to give hope and and inspiration and to make people aware that they're not alone in mental illness. And mental illness does not end their life. Mm -hmm. That there's there's trends there's there's different moments in mental illness, you know. Mm -hmm. And I said I don't have enough time in the day, and I I got to this crisis of saying like, what if I what if I'm not keeping to my vow? And mm -hmm. it was out of fear. Mm -hmm. It wasn't because I wanted to give give it so so much but it was out of fear if i don't keep to my vow what if god is going to retract on the gift that he gave me back of my wellness i mm -hmm. must keep to my vows so so i my wellness should stay you understand it was mm -hmm. a very self-serving self-centered right. right. piece of me that was fearful right. And mm -hmm. I said, I have so many people reaching out to me because I was very open about my journey from day mm -hmm. one. I was never right. in shame and stigma. Right. I was very naive. And I said, I don't have enough time of the day. I feel terrible. I'm letting people down. So he said to me, what about starting a podcast? And I said, when I was listening to podcasts way back in the day, I said, one day I'm going to start a podcast. And I didn't even know what it was. And then I started starting a podcast and I said, you know what? Great. I'm going to start a podcast. Each one's going to be a different episode. This way, if somebody reaches out to me, I'm like, okay, go listen to this. Go listen to that. Mm. I don't have to give my time. Right. What happened with the podcast? And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm, I'm giving my, I, I'm doing the best I can mm -hmm. for people that are very close to me or in my, my group, my friends, my family, people in my community. I give more of my personal time if they have a question or whatever. What happened was after the podcast, people were thirsty for the hand-holding how-to. Mm -hmm. and, and then I started creating this consulting. I'm not a coach. I'm not a certified coach. Mm -hmm. I believe that everybody has a way of finding their own way to healing. Mm -hmm. Now you can go through a lot of people. Most of the people that work with me are people that are on medication and went through years and years and years of therapy. And they just want to get through therapy sessions with in a happier state, in a, in a better mindset state. It's more about the gifts of the mindset, of our capability, of boundaries, forgiveness. This is what I preach about all the time, things that I implemented by me. And mm -hmm. I always say, let's, let's look at your life and let's look at what you could do with your life to implement tiny little shifts that in between sessions that you're working with your therapist or your EMDR or whatever it is, whatever it is, mm -hmm. wherever you are, that you can implement a little bit more of a happier state of well-being and a mindful state. Now, we don't have to be happy all the time. And it's not even right. reality to be happy right. all the time. But right. we have to be mindful of what's going on all the time. I mean, be, and for me, one of the greatest parts of my recovery was 
was understanding boundaries and healthy boundaries. I didn't know about it before. And my, I believe that my crash came from lack of boundaries, not being aware of boundaries, my worthiness. How do we implement this? What does forgiveness really mean? Right. So that's what I, so when people started listening to my podcast, they wanted to get a few sessions with me. It's not a long-term thing. It's mm-hmm. just a few sessions to get clarity. What, what's blocking you and what can you implement? How can you make a tiny shift that will take you to the next tiny shift to the next tiny shift that will make the greatest shift? It's mm-hmm. not about knowing the way we don't get the GPS of step-by-step. It's taking that one little step. And that's where what I work with my consulting and I have my mastermind for a group of people that like-minded people that want to work on the same topic together. And then different things happened from there. And then, and yeah, and it turned into a thing because I really spent a tremendous amount of passion and time and, and, and my energy into this community. So yes, it turned into a business on its own with God. Yes, I love that. Um, so I, I think I have to go now, but can you just tell the listeners where they can find you? So my website is hopetorecharge.com. Everything is there. My podcasts, my programs. Um, uh, what else is there? My, my, my Facebook group, my newsletters. You can um, sign up for the newsletter. And once a week, we share the podcast, the insights, the blog. I have amazing blogs, really amazing blogs about my own personal thoughts and um, my interview, the interviews that I have, my episodes, and um, everything is on my website. And we're we're planning a retreat, the oh, wow. gratefulness retreat. It's called wow, the gratefulness I love retreat that because yeah, there's a big that. difference between gratitude and gratefulness. And I believe that once people understand what gratefulness is. It's the ability to live with the great fullness of life, mm-hmm. the ups and downs, the ugly, the pretty, the sadness, everything together and still leave place for gratitude. So that's going to be in October. So there's a uh, lot happening. There's yeah. a lot, a lot happening in our community yeah. and, and wow. it's, it's growing fast just because the world needs it. Needs so, it for sure. So we respond 100%. to it. Thank you so much for being here. I loved it. It was so inspiring. Thank you, Gila. Thank you for what you do. And I, and I'm, I'm grateful. You're a great interviewer. So thank you. Thank for you. Me. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get Into It with Gila. I'm Gila Glassberg, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. And today I have Matana Jacobs. Hi, Matana. Hi, thank you for having me here. I know it's been a long time since we were trying to plan this and it finally happened. <laughs> yeah, I feel really honored to have you on my podcast. I listen to your podcast regularly and um, it's your podcast is amazing and it's like so inspiring and um, I'm just thank really you. excited to have you here and I, thank I'm, you. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Where do you live, first of all? Okay, so right now I live in Farakaway, mm-hmm. but I must say that I'm a traveler. I'm a huge traveler, and um, I grew up in Israel. I was born in Peoria, Illinois. My parents moved to Where? Israel. Peoria, Illinois. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah. my father. They got him a T-shirt when we left Peoria, and, the, and it said, "Where the heck is Peoria?" Yeah, because that's the reaction. Everyone like, "Where?" Yeah. So that I was funny. born there, and when my my parents needed to make a, a shift in their life. They decided that they're just going to make Aliyah and move to Israel. And I was two years old at the time. Um, I would say my parents were more like 
on the modern Orthodox. And then when they got to Israel, they had to pick and choose. Mm -hmm. And they went to the more black and white community. I went to Beis Yaakov, very extreme Beis Yaakov schools. I hated every moment of it, mm -hmm. but I didn't even know how much I hated it until post. Right. Um, I was a very good girl, like following the rules, everything in silence. I was the poster child of their school, literally mm -hmm. the poster child. I suffered a lot when I was in high school with shame about the fact that my family was American. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, I used to tell my mother, don't speak when you come to school for any program, because mm -hmm. they're going to find out that you're American and I'll have shame. So just don't open your mouth. And you know where that, that, do you know where that came from? Yeah, there's a huge stigma. When I was growing up, I'm 44 years old. Um, so when I was growing up, there was a huge stigma that the Americans that come are a little bit more open-minded and modern. Mm -hmm. I went to a Hasidic school, so mm -hmm. uh, it was... I, I had to pick and choose. And I said, I want to fit in. I just mm -hmm. need to fit in. And I don't want to be the American modern one. I want to fit in with everybody else. And kids in my class had crazy amount of siblings, like mm -hmm. 11, 12, 13. And we had only six. Mm -hmm. And when I was only young, six. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. When I was young, so my mother was still giving birth. And I used to lie about how many kids we had because I said, if they find out there were five or six, whenever it was, no one's going to be my friend. They'll think I'm so modern and no one's going to want to come to my house. And that's the way it could be. It was much more in my head than in reality, but there was definitely a stigma, 100% a stigma. And I always knew growing up that there was something that didn't feel right with the way the school is teaching me stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was always very vocal about it at home, but never in school. I had my few group of, of friends and I hung out with them and they were always the very orthodox friends, always. Mm -hmm. the, I, I grew up in Harnof, which is a very American place. Mm -hmm. And all the American girls were a little bit more fun, outgoing, liberal, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and I never, ever hung out with them. I made sure not to be with them on the bus. I made sure not to eat lunch with them. Mm -hmm. I am not a part of them. It was so important to me mm -hmm. to, to make sure that no one thinks that I'm a part of the American community. Yeah, and I can't sorry to interrupt you, but were your siblings like that too? Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, each one was different. It's funny that you asked that each one mm -hmm. was very, very different. My mm -hmm. one above me, she was like, whatever goes is goes. She was, uh, mm -hmm. she never followed rules, but she was okay with everything. And everybody was okay with her. The mm -hmm. older one was perfection mm -hmm. and she was very comfortable in her own skin. Um, and then my younger ones, it was different. They went to very Israeli school. So they were, they didn't have that American side to them as much mm -hmm. like with mm -hmm. this, like their, the generation was, they were born in Israel. So they were mm -hmm. really Israelis. Right. Um, and then when I was 18, um, in Israel, is, is the audience all Jewish? Will they understand my words? My, mostly Jewish, yeah. Mostly so, Jewish. Yeah. Okay, fine. So I went to the Israeli BJJ for mm -hmm. high school. And most girls in the, Israel's, in the Israel program stay for another two years to learn either uh, teach, um, teacher's education or something like that. In our times, they didn't have many, many options there. Mm -hmm. And I know I did not want to continue for another two years of seminary. Mm -hmm. It was not an option. My sisters mm -hmm. didn't. And I said, I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And um, my sisters went to learn um, in Malot. It was an English American program in Israel. I didn't want to do that. I said, you know what? I'm going to learn on my own through a course that was happening in Harnov. And 
I was volunteering in a special ed school in the morning and doing my my learning at night. And then um, I I got friendly with um, with this uh, girl that was Lubavitch, and she said she was going to Hong Kong for the year. Mm-hmm. And I decided I'm going with her. It was a whole that's a whole other subject. I would go to Hong Kong for a year. I start understanding the world i started sec- sorry one second yeah your parents let you there was no uh, <laughs> oh it was hard it was hard to convince them it's it was really not funny. easy yeah, yeah the way you yeah. say it is so and like, i was I shy just... right right i was very shy and timid like i'm thinking uh-huh. about a very yeah. quiet girl suddenly saying i'm going to hong kong like what exactly. is right. going yeah. on my mother's like right. no you're not and i'm like right. i really want to go now i was a good girl so she right. wasn't afraid that i was like going to do anything radical right and i explained to her that i met this girl one of my students um was having open heart surgery and i was doing a night shift by them in the hospital and um and I got to know the family and I said, you know what, if she's going, it's good enough for me. I want to explore. I really, I, there was a yearning for exploration. Mm-hmm. And when I went, there was one of the most challenging years of my life and one of the growth oriented parts of me. I suddenly mm-hmm. saw the world, the Orthodox world in a million other colors, which I didn't see that in Israel growing mm-hmm. up in my community. Mm-hmm. And it was a great, great living experience finding myself it was just the beginning like not even a little bit of what I am today but I just saw others you know I just my mindset expanded Mm -hmm. I came back I started sorry what did you do in Hong Kong what what was your role there we uh, both of us taught in the Jewish school there Carmel school it was a Jewish school for travelers for people that Mm -hmm. went there on business Mm -hmm. and we taught the we taught elementary school and we also did like bat mitzvah programs bar mitzvah programs shabbos programs sunday school we did all that teaching mm-hmm. how to read so it was a full-time job really a full-time like we lived in the chabad house wow and um, it was really it was a fascinating year T- till today i'm very close with many of the families there wow. every friday there's certain people that we speak to and wow. there's some good shabbos and wow. the girl the, my students are having babies now Wow. Like they're old, it's 20 something years ago. Wow. And um, yeah, and we're still very, it was a pivotal part of my existence today. And I think- And you, was, you probably also like sparked that uh, desire to travel, it sounds like. That exactly. Part the, of little, the little part of me, my young part, even when I was young, I used to beg my parents to go so, certain places. When my parents had a rule, when you graduate high school, you can go to camp in America. Mm-hmm. I was determined that I'm not waiting till high school is over. I wanted to go after 10th grade. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I was a, a rule follower. So they were shocked. Like, what's going on? Why is she, why is she so determined? I, my best friend, her mom was from Italy. And once a year, she used to go to Italy. And as a little girl, I'm talking second, third, fourth grade. I used to beg my parents. I want to go with her. I want to, and I used to make up all these big stories. She needs me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to support her. Her parents mm-hmm. are divorced. She has no mm-hmm. one. She's a single child. I made mm-hmm. these and these major stories in my head. Mm-hmm. Of course, my parents didn't let me go. Like it wasn't even right. an option. We were so poor. Like mm-hmm. traveling was not an option. Mm-hmm. I babysat since a little girl. I made my own money. Mm-hmm. Anything I bought any shoes, any clothes, and anything with my money. Mm-hmm. I never got a new pair of shoes until I, I paid for it. I never got a new sweater. I never mm-hmm. got a Yantif dress. Never. It wasn't even an option. Mm-hmm. Our cousins from America used to send them by us our handy, hand-me-downs, and that was our new clothes, and it was exciting. Mm-hmm. So when, um, it was always in my DNA 
I think, to travel, mm-hmm. but I was also afraid. So I was looking for opportunities that I didn't have to do it on my own, but right. I can explore. Totally. Yeah. So, um, so after that year of Hong Kong, I came back, I, w- I finished my studies in computer graphics and under and, and digital technology, oh, cool. um, printing technology. And I worked in a place and I, I loved my, my beginning of understanding. It was, it was like high tech world, like, but it was more in the digital printing world. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like the work ethics in that place. Um, my sisters were working for a phenomenal woman. And uh, by the way, I'm going to give you a link because it's a whole episode just listening about, to about, about my mentor in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her name is Rachel Devere. I'm just going to say it in three, three sentences. A widow that Maybe. started, yeah, her name was Rachel Devere a widow that started a software company for Orthodox women. And then it grew into this big, big, big company. Um, it wasn't only Orthodox afterwards. So my two sisters worked there and she kept on saying, come work for me. I said, Rachel, what am I going to do by you? She's like, don't worry, come to me. I highly recommend to listen to this episode where I describe, it's a short episode, how I describe her unbelievable drive to help women succeed. Wow. And she became my mentor, like yeah. literally my mentor to life. I still speak to her all the time. Anything in my life, I run through her. Mm-hmm. And she just said, when you're ready to leave this other company, come to me. So eventually I was burnt out and I went to her and she, she was giving me different jobs. In the beginning, she said, just follow me and I'll figure it out what you're good for, mm-hmm. like what job will be good for you. And then yeah. Within two weeks, she put me project manager of implementing the software in government agencies. Wow. Within a year, I had 30 or 40 employees underneath wow. me. Within, I think it was within the, the year of me working there, she called me and she's like, I want to give you a raise. Here's keys to a company car. You wow. have your own cell phone, paid cell phone and gas on the company. How, how old are you? 23. Uh, <laughs> yeah unheard of right a company yeah. card paid gas crazy vacations and a cell you, phone you were in israel, at the time, in israel yes in israel i was living the life and i right. and and my friends were all getting married having children and i mm-hmm. was like I, that's definitely not what i'm 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 looking forward to at all you marriage, weren't ready no marriage scared me i thought it was gonna stop my passion in life Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't so excited to, to do life in the v- real way. I saw everybody mm-hmm. around me having babies every year, mm-hmm. exhausted, mm-hmm. running the marathon of life. And I'm like, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. You I were, said, were you not dating? No, you- I wasn't dating. I started dating, I think at 20, maybe I dated one or two at 23, maybe. Your parents were okay with it? They weren't. No, they were not. Ha- they, I mean, they were okay with it. My parents are very, you do you. Mm-hmm. And will support you, mm-hmm. but they really wanted me to get married. They wanted me to be happy. Mm-hmm. So we, I, uh, I started dating. I think within with I started dating maybe 22, 23. I got married right before I was 26, and maybe I dated 10 guys, and most of them were one timers. Mm-hmm. Just wow. to give you perspective, right? You um, had, you knew what you wanted. Yeah, and I and I knew that I didn't want a sitting and learning guy. That all my friends were having. My sisters also had that. I knew that I cannot be the breadwinner of the family. Mm-hmm. I knew that I don't have it inside me. I don't have the passion. I don't have the desire. I don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want if I have children, I want to be there for them. I really mm-hmm. want to be there for them. So, um, 
God brought me my husband. It was another whole episode of how uh, the the hashgacha of how I found my husband. He came to Israel to get engaged to somebody else. Um, it broke off, and then my friend was supposed to date him. She was she was busy, so I went out with him. A whole story. We dated um, for six months. We got engaged. Went, right. and then I we decided that in because I didn't want to continue um, being this high powered executive in the, and, and it's really stressful. It's really mm -hmm. stressful. Like right after birth, you have to be at your computer. There's no downtime. You're, you're replying to emails from your, from your delivery room. And a week later, you can be back in the office. Now, not everybody does that, but if, if you're high powered, there's, there's no mercy. There's mm -hmm. really no mercy. And I said, I don't want that. I knew that I wasn't strong and I wasn't made out of that. I was just not. And I said, I want to be pampered. I want to take care of my children. I want to have downtime. Little did I know that even if you don't have a job, <laughs> it's still very, very hard. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so we decided that we're going to move to America, that my husband continue his his work in America. And we, we moved during the, uh, within the first week of Sheva Brachas, we moved to America and we started life here. I didn't have anyone. I started life here. Life was great. Three, and I started having children, three children. Mm -hmm. My husband was working. We built a beautiful home. We were traveling living, a lot. You were living in Farakway? You moved yeah. to Farakway? Yeah, right away, right away. Mm -hmm. um, and we were traveling to Israel once or twice or even three times a year. We were traveling. I was, I was traveling to my friends, having my life, really my life um, during having children. And mm -hmm. And playing life, I called it, I was playing life. You didn't, was, you weren't working at all? No, nothing, nothing. And I was loving it. I was mm -hmm. really loving it. And my mentor, Rachel, mm -hmm. every time she came to America, she would come visit me and she would say, Matana, in Hebrew, she would say, it's time to go back to work. You're too bored. You're too mm -hmm. bored. And I said, no, I'm like, and she's like, no, I'm telling you, you need something. You need something more. Anyway, after my third child, I went to Israel, um, for my sister's bar mitzvah and I came home and it was Shavuos and I came home Arab Shavuos and on Shavuos Friday on Shavuos night I had my first panic attack which I thought was a heart attack I ended up in the hospital very fast within a month or two I found out that I'm struggling with depression and anxiety mm -hmm. not knowing why there was nothing that really triggered it wow. um, and within I want to say by Tisha B'Av, I hope everybody understands these words. Mm -hmm. because on my, my a podcast, month or two later. Yeah, a month yeah. or two or even three later. I could not walk on my own. I could not swallow. There was no food going down my throat. Um, I could not sleep for more than 10 minutes without having a panic attack. I was in the hospital multiple times oh. for panic disorder and, and like, just not able to exist. And I had three little kids at home. My youngest was two and a half. Wow. What I look back, like right away, I was trying to figure out, okay, I don't have a trauma. Mm -hmm. It really happened. So what is this? What is this extreme, extreme mental breakdown? Now, I believe that there's always emotional stuff that leads to the breakdown, but there's sometimes a physical things that make that everything collapse. Mm -hmm. So you can hold up the fakeness for a while right. until something comes and just makes everything tumble down. Right. So it could be a trauma. It could be an episode. It could be, it could be something right mm -hmm. for me. It was birth control. 
was definitely birth control. I did not know at the time. I'm going to be very open here. I hope you're yeah, okay with go this. No, <laughs> I think it's yeah. really important for people to hear this. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that I'm very passionate about. And I want a lot of women to hear this. And a lot of my clients come because I share this openly and I want them to find their right path to healing. Mm -hmm. uh, so at the time, I was not aware that I was battling early ovarian failure. Now, mm -hmm. early ovarian failure is like pre-menopause, but your body is going into these weird, weird reactions. You're mm -hmm. having longer periods, shorter periods, stronger periods. It's mm -hmm. just off, just mm -hmm. off. Now, I don't have to tell you the stress that goes with, with the period, with right. being before mikvah, after yeah. mikvah, everything yeah. was so stressful. Yeah. And I was finding that my clean days were almost none. So mm -hmm. I went on a birth control in order to prolong my, my period to make, mm -hmm. to have more clean days. Mm -hmm. And I was, I did a very stupid thing. I was, I was elevating my dose because I, every time I started spotting, I said, you know what, next time I'm going to elevate my dose. Mm -hmm. Right. No doctor, no doctor prescribed that. That was just your own decision. No. So I had my regular prescription, but no one said, it's, yeah, it's okay. It. Yeah. To up the dose. Right. And and it was really, really bad. My body couldn't take the amount of hormones I was pumping into it. Now, yeah. even beforehand, I was so sensitive to hormones. When I was on birth control and I was on birth control for a while, I, I would always get extremely anxious, moody, and I didn't yeah. know that it had to do with birth control. No one told me mm -hmm. that birth control can have this wacko effect on it. Just take a pill and you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. And every single time it just made me a little bit like off. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't diagnose it. I'm like, okay, this is what it's like. Maybe it's lack of sleep of motherhood. Maybe it's being away from my family. I never really put it together that it's hormones, but I would, I would change hormones because my body wasn't taking to any hormone long-term just mm -hmm. wasn't. Mm -hmm. Then I went to the IUD. Uh, IUD I took out within two months. It was, it was terrible for me. Mm -hmm. um, emotionally terrible. And Were you on the cop, the copper or the marine? Both, both. Uh, you tried both. both. Yeah, I tried both. I tried everything. Mm -hmm. The Nuvering was the one that sent me to the hospital. Literally sent me to the hospital because I said I'm going to do two Nuverings at a, like back to back without having my period, and and I think this is a very important message that that I, if women women are listening to this to your podcast, yeah, mostly women. Yeah. Okay. There is this desire to be clean and to be able to be intimate with your husband and connected to your husband. At the same time, there's also a desire to be healthy and a mm -hmm. desire to, to lead with our full deck of cards. Mm -hmm. As much as motherhood is hard, whatever, mm -hmm. like, and, and there's this tug of war internally. What is, what is worse? <laughs> like, yes. which is it, is it the loneliness for my husband? from not being with my husband and constantly being Anida. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm using bit words that are okay for- I'll explain you. it. I'll explain okay. it. Okay. Okay. Um, or is it that I want my mental health strength? Mm -hmm. And I hear this over and over and over from women mm -hmm. that there's not enough as well. conversation yeah. on, the t on, this, on this loneliness that happens that no one teaches us how to deal with loneliness and being okay alone and 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 um, wanting to connect when you can't connect. And at the same time, you are compromising 
your mental health, your physical health sometimes. Mm -hmm. Now I knew for sure that was from my newborn because as soon as I stopped it, I saw, I saw a difference in my feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's when I decided I'm, I'm done with the birth control and I have to start healing. I need to start healing. My number one thing was, okay, I need to get back to where I was and better. I need to mm-hmm. feed my children. I need to be able to play with them. I need to be able to smile when they look at, when they, when mm-hmm. they talk to me, mm-hmm. I need to be okay when they walk into my room and not just stare at the wall. I was literally under my blankets in severe depression my friends used to come and open the shades in my house and say, okay, come, let's go for a walk. We'll, we'll hold you. You'll sip this milkshake. Mm-hmm. It was never going down my throat. If I ate a quarter of a banana a day, that was success. How long was that going on for? Months, months. And I, and I eventually my husband got me like every single um, type of protein shake, mm-hmm. which one I'm not going to throw up because mm-hmm. I was throwing up from the, from the anxiety. Anxiety yes. makes one throw up, fear, mm-hmm. stress, not sleeping. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sleeping mm-hmm. um, eventually. And we were clock myself that I had to take a sip, one sip every 15 minutes, one sip. And I knew that if I finished the protein shake by the end of the day, that I have enough protein to not die, that I don't have to go to the hospital. You mm-hmm. know, like my mind needed also mm-hmm. to, to rationalize what mm-hmm. I needed, right? Right. So, and then I said, that's it. I need to really heal. And I called my mom on Tishabav and I said, come to America. I'm on rock bottom. I need to heal. Take me to the top, top doctors around America to figure out what went wrong with me and get me back to health. Like just... Don't leave me until I am a hundred percent better. And she. I'm sorry to interrupt you again, but how did how did your family function on, during those months when you were not functioning? My support. I don't think there are many people that get the support. First of all, I wasn't shy about it. Everybody, mm-hmm. my my friends knew about it right mm-hmm. away. I said what I was struggling with. My husband is unbelievable, one in a million. I don't know. I don't know if God gave me him because. Uh, in order to deal with what we went through and say, okay, I'm going to give you somebody that can deal with it. And he went through so much adversity in his childhood mm-hmm. that he was used to adversity. Wow. When things go well, it's, it's a bonus. Wow. So for him, it's like, oh, it's a, it's just another bump in the road. We're going to get through it. It was wow. very supportive. I, I say everybody should have a husband that is so understanding. He used to wake up in the morning, take the kids to school, feed them, then go to school, come home, come come see me in my room and say, do you need anything before I go to work? Do you want me to wake you up at a certain time? Like that's unheard of. No judgment, no judgment, just support. Do you like, should I call a friend to be with you? Do you want me to work from home? Should a housekeeper, should I tell the housekeeper to come check on you? Do you like, what do you need? You tell me what you needed. Now he also had to, had to run a business. So Mm -hmm. when I called my mom was, okay, I need you because my husband can't do three kids, Mm -hmm. carpool, school, business, life support all on his own. Mm -hmm. But you were well enough, I guess at that time to even like say what you needed. Yeah. I was hardly functioning, literally hardly sitting, literally hardly. I needed to be showered with someone how do, else. How do you react thinking back, like now that you're in a better place, like how does, does it feel like that was you? Um, I knew it wasn't me. It, mm-hmm. it, I knew it wasn't me I knew, because my me before conquered the world. Like 
you give me any task, I'll do it. So mm -hmm. I knew it was something that I used to call it the UFO. Oh, yeah. yeah, I said the UFO took me took over me and I don't know what it is, but I'm go I'm determined that this is not going to be where I'm going to end my life. This is not not it's mm -hmm. not an option. And mm -hmm. I always say to people, how much do you want it? Mm -hmm. That's how far you're going to go. Mm -hmm. And I know it sounds brutal, but I was fighting for years, fighting, fighting and doing the work when I was depleted to no energy because I wanted it. And I said, I refuse, refuse to stay here. This is not mm -hmm. an option. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what it takes. Mm -hmm. And, and I, 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 I did online courses. I did medication. We went to psychiatrists. We, we, we tweaked medication. We tweak, I went, I did mindfulness. I did every kind of therapy that is out there. I did, I did healers, different healers, Mm -hmm. EMDR, uh, EFT, uh, all the energy, different things. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you tell me I'm going to try it. I am going to try it. I, I always say I could have bought three homes, put down payments on three homes and the amount I spent on recovery. I spent over a hundred thousand dollars on recovery, even uprooting my family to move to Florida. We moved to Florida for a year because my depression healed about 80%, but there was wow. still 20% that I was in a fog. Wow. And I was off my medication. Thank God I got off my medication after a lot of work. I was off the fog. And I, I mean, I had still this little fog and I said, I want to get to a hundred. I don't feel myself. So I thought that maybe the sun will help. It was the worst year in Florida. It taught me that the work has to come within. You can't mm -hmm. run away from your troubles. You can't. Mm -hmm. You have to do the work that wherever you're going to be, you're going to be okay. Now, I often talk about boundaries. You have to make sure that your boundaries are the right place and whatever. And maybe you have to move in order to have healthier boundaries. But it's not just because of the sun. And yes, sun helps. Mm -hmm. Sun really helps. Mm -hmm. But the core needed to be within inside me. And I did the work. And I don't think... If I didn't have this hiccup in my life, this adversity, I would never be able to become the happy person that I am now and to mm. live life with the experience of the fullness of it, the way I am now. Mm. It was a gift. It was a wake up call, a gift. And God gave it to me in a very like forceful way. I'm going to mm. show you how to live life to the max. You think you know everything, you know nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to wake you up. And mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for all the mentors and the support that I had, because without them, I wouldn't be here. Wow. That is crazy. So you, you're saying that that was a gift because like you sort, you sort of had to like hit rock bottom in order to like maximize your life. Yeah. Yeah. Although your life was good. You said like your life. Very like right. it was a poster like dream. Right. 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 But there was so many things from my youth that I didn't address so many mm. ways that I was showing up in the world in a not real way. So many relationships that were not healthy for me. And I never knew that mm. I was never like a aware. Thing? Very much worthy. Listen, right. my name is Matana. Right. Everything about me was giving. I was not worthy unless I gave. Right, so can you imagine how my life was? I was always on the giving, giving, giving and very little receiving. Mm -hmm. And my worthiness was only based on how much I gave. Mm -hmm. I was depleted. Mm -hmm. I had mm -hmm. no identity besides giving. Right, right. No true self. It was just like none, none. giving up yeah. yourself. Yeah. yeah. And also I was very different than my family in my orthodox, mm -hmm. in the Orthodox world. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of inner battles of, am I worthy if I'm not like them? Who am mm -hmm. I? Do I have a voice? Mm 
Do I matter mm -hmm. if I don't show up like them? I love them tremendously. They love me. They care about me. They're right. everything to me. But can we be different and still love each other? Can right. we care about each other? Can right. we hold space for each other? Mm -hmm. And it so was really hard. That's sort of like was the mental breakdown, which was like huge. Yes, huge, huge, huge. Was I showing up for everybody else but myself? Mm -hmm. My identity, in my giving, in my boundaries, and mm -hmm. everything. In my it also like just think about how many times I gave when I didn't want to give, and every single time I would hold resentment, anger, mm -hmm. sadness. Mm -hmm. All that accumulates. Yes, a hundred percent. Do you think that like going back to like your childhood, like you were talking about? you know, not wanting to stand out and like, exactly. like, be, like being someone who you weren't in order to yeah. please other people. And that's yeah. just like the facade that you carried for all. A hundred percent. And my worthiness was only how much am I giving? That's my worth. Mm -hmm. But you said like you were able to be open with your friends, like right away, even though it's interesting right you're able to, because for so many years you had that like facade of like, I could do everything. So how, right, but I was no longer that little girl. But the second I left to Hong Kong, I was making a statement. I am no longer living the life that everybody else is telling me to live. Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure it out. And I came a very long way. Right. I came a very, very long way. For me, um, battling depression and anxiety was not even shameful. Mm -hmm. it, it was not even in my awareness. My, my sisters always made fun of me. They're like, it was your naive part of you that saved you. Because it wasn't even like, what's there to be ashamed about? This is who I am. This mm -hmm. is what happened to me. I didn't do it on purpose. I'm not, I'm not less than because I can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. I'm not less than because I couldn't sleep. Right. I didn't ask for this. This right. is not something I'm, I'm, I'm like looking for and saying, hip, hip, hooray, I have depression. Mm -hmm. It was never a shame for me, never. And that was my biggest gift. Yes. And I want to say also about um, going to Hong Kong and kind of making that statement although it was such a positive thing and like it really did signal to the world like I have a voice I have a self maybe that was part of like I don't know like um the like the battle because you so badly wanted to fit in so a hundred percent it was depressed. it was my first step into I'm owning myself but I didn't even know where I was going right. I was just like playing in the sandbox and start trying to mold something that was me, but I didn't even know. I was so far removed from understanding that I have thoughts, understanding that I have emotions, understanding that, I've, that I'm valuable from whatever I think, and that's mm -hmm. enough, and mm -hmm. that's okay. Mm -hmm. It was so foreign to me. Mm -hmm. Also, you said like your husband, like there was never any judgment, like there was no judgment. Never. I wonder if that also gave you the space to not judge yourself because. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. And that's why I started the podcast, my hope to recharge podcast for yeah. people to not only for those that are struggling, but for loved ones to understand mm -hmm. how, how important it is to really not judge because until you go through it, you will never know. Now I also say to the ones that are going through mental illness, don't think that it's their job to understand because it's not, and they're suffering just as much as you are. Mm -hmm. Don't think, I wish someone woke me up while I was battling my depression and said to me, your husband's also suffering. Mm -hmm. You have to give him too. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even on my, on my radar. Like, no, he is going to give to me until mm -hmm. I heal and mm -hmm. you do everything possible because you're not depressed. 
no one told me be grateful to him, be understanding, give him space, find, I did find my own support. I really did. And maybe mm -hmm. that was the silver lining, maybe mm -hmm. that I did. I was, I had a tremendous amount of support. So it didn't all fall on him, mm -hmm. but there was a lot, a lot of um, judgment towards him. I need more of this. I need more of that versus mm -hmm. saying, thank you for everything that you're you're supporting me. So it's a very hard balance. It's a yeah. very, 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 and it's, it's a miracle that couples and loved ones survive when they do. Mm -hmm. It's a mm -hmm. miracle. Wow. Wow. Interesting. Really important for couples to hear this, you know, very, very, very important. And I'm going to say it again. If you're somebody that's battling with mental illness, just know that your loved one is suffering just as much as you, if not more, because they can't save you. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of hopelessness and they don't understand what took over their spouse and what is going on and how mm -hmm. they can help. And mm -hmm. they just feel like a nobody and there's no one filling their void. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult. Mm -hmm. Be empathetic for your loved one because just as much as you're suffering, they're suffering. Well, and your husband was okay with you like starting the podcast and being open oh he was so supportive yeah he's my biggest cheerleader my wow. biggest cheerleader yes and your parents also your kids very like very 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 yeah go spread your wings fly like share as much as you can to inspire others my kids like we talk about mental illness in our house all the time wow. they, it's on their time it's like part of their language so refreshing and to hear that it's like such a beautiful I think thing. it's normal yeah, I don't, I'm not aware that it's not normal. I think right. that that's what, and a lot of times people come to my house and like, oh, you talk to your children about this? Like mm -hmm. at your Shabbos table? I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. this is mm -hmm. life. Yeah, right. I want them to right. know. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, right. we talk totally. about it openly, openly. I My my 18 year old son um, in the beginning of 12th grade, um, his rabbi called him and he said, I just want to get to know you, blah, blah, blah. He said, tell me about your parents. And he's like, why'd you travel so much? We lived in Israel for a year. We mm -hmm. lived in Woodmere. We, when we came back to, from Florida, we, our house in Farrakha was rented out. So we moved to Woodmere mm -hmm. and then, and, and Florida. And he's like, well, when my mom, my mom was depressed, we had to move to Florida. And his Rebbe, just his, his eyes like paused, his mouth dropped. And he's like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. are you telling me are you okay like should mm -hmm. we tell should we tell the school counselor right, he's like right. no no she's all okay like don't right. worry and he's like wait do you have trauma from it he's like no I'm okay I'm just right. telling you why we it was so a normal conversation yes. that the right. rabbi was shocked that mm -hmm. he was so open with it and he's mm -hmm. like do you still have do you have trauma he's like I hardly remember it I must say I hardly remember it but I do remember that my mother was in bed a lot mm -hmm. right. <laughs> but he was very safe talking about yeah. it and yeah. for me it's so refreshing mm-hmm mm-hmm well, I'm just, I, I have to process what you're saying because like <laughs> my, yeah, just like, like, I don't know how much you heard of my own podcast, but I, um, almost three years ago, my mom passed away very suddenly. And then my baby was born like three days later, wow. and there was like a lot, a lot, a lot of trauma. And like, it definitely affected wow. me and my, and my family life, my kids and everything. And For like, sure. I'm definitely, I mean, I talk openly about that on my podcast and I blog about it and everything, but like, yeah, there's definitely, you know, I've heard you say this on the podcast and like Brene Brown talks about like the more we hide, the more shame grows. And right. like, even right. for a lot of, in the beginning, when I would say that, I even remember saying this to someone like, I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable that I said that. And now, like I, I said that to a therapist, somebody who I was talking to, the therapist, she's like, why are you apologizing for your emotions or your feelings or something or your story? And I was like, right, I'm going to own that story. And like some people I could tell feel like they change the subject, they feel uncomfortable, but it's like, really? 
yeah, but it's like, this is my life. People die, you know, people yeah. struggle, people yeah. go through these things. And it's really refreshing to hear that, like, this is what happened to you. You did not do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And like, you just owned it and like took care of yourself. And that's beautiful. And I think it's important that we go to schools and hopefully, listen, the world is changing. The stigma is breaking slowly, but there's still a huge stigma. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many chats I'm on that say, don't say my name, don't share this, but my mm-hmm. child, my daughter, my my mm-hmm. son, my husband, my father, mm-hmm. there's, all, there's the shame factor. Mm-hmm. And the shame factor is a huge barrier between healing and illness Mm -hmm. and when we I think one of the things that really helped me was not living a secret it was I was able to gain from every person that I told the the story and that if they helped me and Mm -hmm. say oh I went through it my husband went through it my Mm -hmm. daughter went through it and I was able to learn and they were able to navigate me to the next step of maybe trying this maybe trying that Mm -hmm. and you don't feel alone that loneliness Mm-hmm. is the pits of hell yes and you're gonna feel lonely even with the most support right. can you imagine how lonely you're gonna feel without support yeah it's not worth it it's just yeah. not worth it and all the stories that you tell yourself in your mind but what if i just interviewed somebody yesterday and he comes from chabad and he was molested when he was a young child and he was afraid to tell his story mm-hmm. and and he said once he started sharing the story he he realized that a lot of people are going to say, but what's going to happen to your family if they're going to know mm-hmm. your story and what's going to happen to the person that molested you's family. And he's like, what's with the family obsession of what's going to happen to the family if they find out that something's not okay or something's needs to heal. How about we focus on what needs to heal versus what's going to happen to the family if someone finds out? Yes. Well, I wonder why that happened. That it's like, I, I was also just listening to a podcast of somebody who, came out about her story of childhood sexual abuse and she was saying like you know we have to know these things we have to address it we have to teach our kids and it's like but people are scared what's going to happen with or what's going to happen and it's like when did we it's a it's a pros cons analysis right when did we decide that that was better to hide yeah. it and to yeah it's not it? living the truth right right it's and, and living a lie Right. And I'm also hearing from just, I'm going back to this about like, there was no judgment from your husband or your family or your friends that like, that gave you the ability to like, now you have this podcast and you have this platform where you share so openly without judgment. And so tell me about the podcast. How did that come to be? And where is it now? So what happened was, um, you have to go by the way. Yeah, I do have to, I have someone waiting on the, so I'm going to just give you a minute here. Okay. Okay. And And then then we'll, then we'll do, we'll do um, uh, if you want, yeah. we could do a, if you want to, if you have a few more questions, we can, I could come on tomorrow, maybe for yeah. a few more questions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when, when I started to heal, I, I was always very open about my story and I was sharing my progress, what I'm doing, my mindfulness, this coach, that coach, that mm-hmm. healing, that experience. Mm-hmm. And the more I was talking about it, the more people were reaching out to me. I didn't mm-hmm. have enough time in the day to respond to all the people that were asking, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question? And I said, this is too much. And now when somebody's calling you with their deep, dark pain and they feel safe sharing it for you, you can't it's not never two minutes, never. And I found that I was on the phone for hours. I was, I was, I was, I was enough. I was empty to give because I was giving about again, going back again. And I said, right. The pattern. So I, 
So I said, okay, I, I need to stop this pattern. I can't be the Messiah saving the world. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm very into, okay, I want to share. And I always, I did make a vow with Hashem. And I said, if you heal me, I remember where I was standing in my room, looking at a tree. It's my, like, I call it my tree of hope. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you heal me, if you exist, there was a time that I didn't even feel God. I was in such dire, but mm-hmm. I wanted to believe that he existed because I needed a greater power. Mm-hmm. And I said, if you heal me, I will forever pay it forward and, and be of support to people. Mm-hmm. So then I thought, okay, if I'm not supporting everyone, I'm not holding to my vow and I'm afraid I'm going to go back to what I was. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I was... And then I hired, I always have coaches. My whole life I had coaches and I always have different coaches. And I, uh, I hired a coach to stabilize my life because I was like giving, giving, giving. And he said, you don't have to save everyone, but you can create a platform that you can share and break the stigma. And that's when I said, okay, fine. I'm going to create this podcast and I'm going to have episodes about everything that I don't have to repeat myself over and over. And people could, I could just say, go to episode yes, number this, yes, this is this, right, and that. my right. story is here about the right. hormones, about how right. I healed with my healer. Right. Everything mm-hmm. is there. Mm-hmm. What happened was that the, the, ep, the, the podcast exploded and people wanted more and more to one-on-one with me to mm-hmm. actually take the steps. What came out of it was a miracle, really a miracle. First of all, I identified what my vow to God was, how I want to pay it forward. Now, I didn't say that I'm going to hold everybody constantly through their pain because it's mm-hmm. impossible, right? Possible, yeah. But I do want to encourage others to heal that want it badly. Mm-hmm. They are willing to do the work like I did to really go through the process of falling and falling and falling and saying, I'm not willing to stay here. I'm going to get up and I'm going to try again. Some, try something, take 5% from that, go to the next thing, go to the next thing. And that's where I decided that my, my when I said I'm going to pay it forward, I'm going to take what I did with myself and help others implement it into their own custom-made life to them because no two are the same. And mm-hmm. when people say to me, how did you heal? I said, whatever I tell you, it's irrelevant. It's mm-hmm. irrelevant mm-hmm. because my challenges, my boundaries, my healing, whatever I went through is nothing to do with what what broke you, mm-hmm. what what your surrounding is. My my ability and your ability are different. So I can give you some rules of thumb that you have to implement in your life but they're going to look vastly different how you implement it the way I implement it. And you have to custom make this. And I call it the custom made toolkit for Mm -hmm. your life, for what are the adversities are in your life where you feel that you need to grow. Everything comes for a reason. And when we own it and we understand that we need to grow from it, we start doing the work with no shame, with no fear. And it's exciting. And we look at the ugly, the messy, the the parts that we're so ashamed of. And we look at it as an honor to take it to the next step as a stepping stone. Wow. Wow. That's really beautiful. I wish we could continue. So hopefully tomorrow. Okay, fine. And I'll stop. Yeah. You're going to Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at Gila Glassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.